Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. I'm Carly McBride, Content Communications Manager and your host for this week's episode. As a reminder, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform so you catch all of our latest releases right in your feed. Today on Order Up, I'm happy to welcome back two of my National Restaurant Association colleagues. Uh, Joining me today is Sean Kennedy, Executive Vice President of Public Affairs, and also Mike Watley, Vice President of State Affairs and Grassroots Advocacy. Mike and Sean join us to discuss an array of policy topics on the table currently, from tip credit to third-party delivery and alcohol to go to the employee retention tax credit. So they'll take a forward look at the year ahead and outline the most important information restaurants need to know. So thank you to both of you for joining us today. Uh, Sean, before we dive into our, our content here, can you give our listeners an update on where things stand with the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, better known as RRF? Thanks, Carly. Uh, Look, a lot has happened in recent days. What we know for sure is that Congress passed on an enormous opportunity to replenish the RRF. Uh, Congress has passed an omnibus spending bill. It represents their largest spending bill, possibly their only government spending bill of the year. And they chose not to include replenishing the RRF. Uh, In our press releases, we call this a gut punch to the 177,000 operators that are still waiting for word from SBA. And we stand by that. We are incredibly frustrated right now with what Congress hasn't done. Looking forward, what's left? We're still waiting for the dust to settle. We're still talking to our champions in Congress. We're going to continue to stay focused on replenishing the RF. But what this really underscores, Carly, is the need to take an all-of-the-above approach. There are a lot of other ways in which we can try to advance this industry. We're going to talk about some later today, but it's we need to be focusing on all of them. So RF is going to continue to be something we press. I'm not sure what the future holds for that. We're not saying no on that front, but it really underscores why we cannot take any issue for granted. We need to be playing offense and defense across the board. Sean, thank you so much for that information. So as we look beyond RRF, the landscape of policies and issues facing restaurants right now is so vast. Uh, I know there's a lot to talk about. So thank you to both you and Mike Watley for joining us today. Uh, So let's get started. So, Sean, we are in the midst of tax season, and processing delays at the IRS have been well documented. Many restaurants have been waiting nine or more months and still haven't received funds from the employee retention tax credit. So is there any hope for quick resolution on the regulatory front, and what's the status of that legislation in Congress? It's a great question because the ERTC, if done right, can really be a critical recovery tool for hundreds of thousands of restaurants. But the challenge, as you noted, is too many operators have turned in their paperwork and they're still waiting for that uh, refund from the federal government. We did a recent poll, 83% of operators who've applied for ERTC more than six months ago still have not received any funds. Um, The biggest challenge that operators are seeing right now is that tax day is coming. Operators are being told that they need to pay Uncle Sam again, and they're basically being told They're going to have to overpay their taxes in order to get that refund later on this year. We are not an industry that can can survive something like that. What the National Restaurant Association has been focusing on is two fronts. One is how do we extend the ERTC 
beyond the third quarter of 2021. As you know, Congress got rid of it to pay for the infrastructure bill. We want to see Congress put it back to make sure that that assistance is available to operators. But secondly, and more importantly, is how do we make sure that operators that have applied for it are in the posture of finally getting the funds back? We are weighing in with the House Ways and Means Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, as well as IRS and Treasury to say they need to halt automatic collection processes until they have their act together and operators are finally getting those ERTC benefits. I don't know that there's a clear, easy solution on this one, but it's something that we are not going to let go of because it's just it's going to be a critical recovery tool for a lot of restaurants, and they're really looking to us for leadership. We're going to stay on this one. Thank you. Sean, let's stick with you while you have the mic. Let's talk a little bit about workforce. Uh, The restaurant industry is more diverse than any other sector in the economy. So for years now, the industry has been calling for meaningful reforms to workforce laws, especially pertaining to immigration programs. Uh, So what action, if any, can restaurants anticipate on this front uh, in the year to come? We are still, as an industry, about 860,000 jobs fewer than we had before the pandemic. If you asked most operators before the pandemic, what was your number one challenge? It was bringing on qualified workers. Uh, The pandemic has only worsened that. And so we still are working under a number of challenges as restaurants look to finally, not only open their doors, but just ensure that they can fully utilize all of their tables, that they've got a kitchen that can support their customers and that they can move forward. The easiest fix, obviously, would be comprehensive immigration reform uh, that would allow us to draw from a larger pool of workers that we can't find domestically right now. Immigration reform, obviously, is something that is very controversial in Washington. I don't see it being solved or being addressed in a meaningful way this year. So we're looking at, from a smaller scope, what are programs that we can get out of Congress that might, uh, again, address our workforce shortage? One item would be to change or create new workforce worker visa programs for foreign workers to allow them to come into our country for a a, a set amount of time, Uh, but ones that are specifically designed for the opportunities of the hospitality industry. As you know, high-skilled workers have their visa program. Seasonal workers have another visa program. The hospitality sector, we're the nation's second largest private sector employer. It's high time that we get something along those lines as well. Obviously, our educational foundation continues to do amazing work uh, on programs offering second chance jobs for people that are coming out of uh, being incarcerated or folks that are just new to the industry altogether. How do we get more young people involved in this as well? There are no easy solutions, but there are a lot of ways that we can provide relief for the industry, get more people into this industry, uh, and you're going to be hearing a lot more from us as the year moves forward. Thanks so much, Sean. Mike, let's turn the mic over to you. Um, Cocktails to Go has been an incredibly successful business tool uh, for restaurants and a very popular trend among consumers throughout this pandemic. So now that it appears we are close to turning the tide on COVID-19, thankfully, um, do you foresee that Cocktails to Go will remain um, or are some of the states not likely to pass legislation, excuse me, um, extending that availability? Where do we stand? It's a really great question. And Cocktails to Go really wasn't a a topic or a thing that was allowed prior to the pandemic. If you go back in time, pre-pandemic, 
you could do a cocktail to go in certain entertainment districts like New Orleans, Bourbon Street, Las Vegas, but statewide, there were zero states that allowed it. During the pandemic, a lot of governors moved forward with executive orders that allowed cocktails to go temporarily. At one point or another during the pandemic, 39 states allowed cocktails to go, but many of those regulations were temporary. And so once the states of emergency began to go away, which actually people forget happened last year and earlier um, in 2021, the state restaurant associations and, and our advocates had to move quickly to try to make sure these policies were allowed either on an extended time period going forward or hopefully permanently in a bunch of states. As of right now, thanks to the work of our state restaurant association partners, 31 states are still allowing cocktails to go. And we're hopeful that when all is said and done, that'll be 31 states or perhaps one or two more that'll make this allowance permanent going forward. Um, this this has been incredibly popular with restaurateurs. Uh, Off-premise consumption of food was a major trend pre-pandemic. And in most states, you couldn't have cocktails, or in no states, could you have cocktails to go as part of that. So it, it made sense. It's kind of common sense. But customers love this. We've done polling on this in conservative states, progressive states, large states, coastal states, pretty much everywhere, it is very popular, 75 plus percent in favor. And it really matters for restaurateurs based upon our research team's estimates, an enhanced uh, alcohol to go program can boost off-premises sales between five to 10% for restaurateurs. For an industry that has four to 6% margins, that's huge. Now, there are one or two states we're hoping to bring cocktails to go back to. That would be New York and Pennsylvania, which unfortunately lost the allowance a couple of months ago. But we're actively pursuing those to bring it back and pursuing permanent cocktails to go really across the country. Wonderful. Thank you. That's an exciting development. Um, so this qu next question is kind of for both of you. Um, considering all of the job losses the restaurant industry has endured over the course of the pandemic, there are reports of interest picking up to eliminate the tip credit. Um, plus, the new dual jobs final rule impacts when restaurants can take that tip credit. Uh, we know that tipping is vastly preferred by employees and customers. Uh, so what's the future of the tip credit? So at the federal level, what we're seeing is just a continued misunderstanding for what tipping enables and why it is such a great solution, both for operators and more importantly, for uh, restaurant employees who are generally been receiving far more than the minimum wage. And in a lot of reports and what we're seeing in our data, tipping has gone up even after the pandemic right now. So it's a great time to be a tip server at a restaurant. Um, you mentioned the, the dual jobs item, and that is it's it's a it's a a play from the Department of Labor that tries to clarify when someone can be when an operator can pay them the tip credit versus the minimum wage, but it does it in a way that is really confusing for a lot of operators and is really going to throw a lot of uncertainty for operators that are trying to do the right thing. We are working to try to push back strongly on what is a well-intentioned but really misguided and overly expansive approach from a regulatory perspective on DOL. Uh, and then as we look into the future of the TIP credit, there are people who say uh, that it should be eliminated. Uh, they don't really understand the business side of it. Uh, a lot of it has been looking now at the, uh, it's been an issue that's been discussed at the federal level 
probably going to be much more of an issue this year at the state and local level. Mike, let me let me hand off to you as to how you see things going this year uh, at the local level in that one. Yeah, there are a couple of attempts to eliminate the tip credit at the local level and the state level that we're seeing and that will, will ultimately be decided in 2022. Uh, of most relevance and of most immediacy is what's happening here in Washington, D.C., where uh, there's been a group that submitted signatures for a ballot initiative called Initiative 82 here in D.C. that would eliminate the, the tip credit over a number of years. For any of our listeners who are in Washington, D.C., you may, you may say, wait a second, didn't, didn't we just have this issue on the ballot here in D.C.? And the answer is yes. A couple of years ago, Initiative 77 was very similar in terms of what it would do. And there was a, a hard fought campaign by tipped employees, by restaurant owners, and ultimately, the, the D.C. Council weighed in and restored and protected the tip credit here in D.C. because they heard from tip workers saying, please don't upend a system that we love and that works here in D.C. A couple years later, we're back in a similar situation. It has not been certified for the ballot yet. We will see what happens there in terms of signatures. But it, it's a it's a huge um, challenge for the industry, especially coming out of COVID, where so much has changed in the industry. And you now look at a situation like D.C., which could just change everything for the table service industry here in D.C. You have D.C., you also have Michigan, where a similar group has introduced a ballot initiative that would be on the fall ballot to eliminate the tip credit. Uh, listeners in Michigan might go, wait a second, we, we, we saw this before here as well. And the answer is yes, there was an attempt a couple of years ago in Michigan that was ultimately unsuccessful. But these are two major issues that we're two major localities that we're watching. But there have been reports of a larger effort to eliminate the tip credit in state capitals and cities across the country. So uh, we're concerned. We're watching it closely, as are our state restaurant association partners. Are you hoping to make a difference on the policy topics that affect your business? Join us April 25th through 27th, 2022 in Washington, D.C. for our public affairs conference and be a part of the industry's largest grassroots lobbying event. Here, attendees will meet with lawmakers, network with industry peers, and come together to celebrate the restaurant industry. Please visit conference.restaurantsact.com to register. We can't wait to see you in person. Let's talk about third-party delivery. Uh, third-party delivery continues to grow in popularity, um, but we're seeing some localities uh, address transparency issues with these app-based services. So the association did issue some guidance on third-party delivery um, back in December of 2020. So what progress has been made since then? Yeah, I think, Ka uh, Carly, you and I talked about this a couple months ago on the podcast when we first had uh, brought forward the third-party principles, which were, were signed off on by the major third-party delivery companies, as well as our um, kind of larger advocacy efforts. But there's been a lot of progress. Um, one of the major principles in that document was this concept that restaurants have a right to know and determine when and if their food is delivered. And for, for customers, that may seem like a no-brainer of, you know, of course, if I'm ordering from a third-party platform, the restaurant knows and has authorized that that relationship exists. But in some cases, it didn't and it hasn't. So that was a key principle for us. Um, upwards of a dozen states at this point have put that into law, saying that either a third-party delivery company and a restaurant must have a contract or there has to be written consent prior to 
any sort of delivery happening. That's continuing to expand. We're continuing to see legislation on that. But it's just it shows that the principles, while they were important for policy and for, for media and for kind of general consumption, they matter when it comes to legislation, too. And we're meant to be kind of a level playing field for operators of all sizes when it came to third party delivery. We continue to have productive and positive conversations with the third party industry um, about as this industry evolves, as restaurants shift out of the pandemic, what does the future look like? What are additional principles that could be out there? And those are ongoing conversations. But third party delivery was a huge trend for the industry prior to the pandemic. In the height of the pandemic, so many restaurateurs who had never done third party delivery before joined a platform by necessity. Some have kept it, some have lost it, but ultimately off-premise food, third-party delivery are essential for the industry going forward. And so we're, we're here to make sure there's a level playing field and that it's fair for all restaurants. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, Mike, let's stick with you and talk a little bit about um, some environmental topics. Um, so some local governments are passing laws that ban the use of natural gas stoves and ovens. Um, so do you expect this to spread? Um, where, where are we going with that? You know, this is an issue that pre-pandemic was starting to become a bigger and bigger issue at the local level. You saw the city of Berkeley um, back in 2019 be kind of a trendsetter in this space of banning natural gas hookups for gas appliances. And the goal here is to electrify um, businesses and homes of of all varieties um, to help with global warming and climate change. However, for many restaurateurs, the ability to have natural gas and a a flame, think about grilling, think about sautéing, it's really important and it changes their operations entirely if that is banned and goes away. You saw the California Restaurant Association um, file a lawsuit against the city of Berkeley, arguing many of these points back in the day that that litigation continues. But we are starting to see this, this move in certain jurisdictions across the country some California cities, some cities in the East Coast. And it's a big challenge for restaurateurs, especially coming out of a pandemic, because not only would this matter in normal times, but so much has changed during the pandemic. If you add this on top of what restaurateurs have gone through over the past two years, it's an even bigger challenge. On the flip side, in certain conservative states, you're starting to see legislation that actually preempts uh, this issue and does not allow local governments to take action on natural gas hookups. So conservative, more Republican state legislatures are saying this is an issue of state concern. This can only be determined at the state level. So why does this matter for restaurateurs? This is an issue that they may not have been thinking about recently. But if they have a natural gas grill or a natural gas stove, this legislation and these regulations could be coming to them soon. We're working with our state restaurant association partners across the country on this issue. Um, it, it kind of it hadn't been as top of an issue during the pandemic, but now as we begin to emerge from the pandemic, we're starting to see more and more of these bans begin to pop up on the local level. All right, Sean, let's turn back to you. Uh, the Public Affairs Conference is back in person this year, which is really exciting. Very exciting. So what are some things that attendees can expect at that conference? Uh, will meetings with member of Congress be in person? Uh, and what are the requirements for attendees for masking and proof of vaccination? So we're thrilled to offer the our Public Affairs Conference. It's an annual event uh, that brings together restaurant operators, from around the country to Washington 
They're going to hear from some of the top leaders uh, in Congress, as well as industry leaders on what are the issues right now that are before Congress that can really make or break us as we look to not only turn the corner on the pandemic, but how do we really redefine ourselves and reorient ourselves towards what the what the road ahead looks like. Um, you note that it will end with folks being sent to the Hill uh, to be a lobbyist for the day, so to speak, um, working with our state restaurant association partners. Delegations will go to meet with members of Congress to raise specific issues uh, that can really affect the future of the industry. Uh, we've got great speakers. Uh, of course, we'll make sure people are well-fed and uh, entertained as well. So it's a great time to finally bring folks together. It is April 25th through the 27th. Uh, details and registration information can be found at conference.restaurantsact.com. Right now, the policy for uh, this event will require uh, proof of vaccination or proof of a recent negative COVID test. I don't know if that will change between now and April, so stay tuned onto that website if you need more than that. I do not expect a mask, uh, that there'll be a masking requirement. DC just lifted theirs uh, last week. But again, we, we had a really successful event last year, uh, but it was virtual and everyone looked great, but they're on Zoom screens and people are really excited. We think this is going to sell out quickly. Definitely check out our website if you're looking for more information. We'll be posting more on who our speakers will be and more in the program in the weeks to come. Thank you very much, Sean. We'll be sure to link that uh, in our show notes. Are you hoping to make a difference on the policy topics that affect your business? Join us April 25th through 27th, 2022 in Washington, D.C. for our public affairs conference and be a part of the industry's largest grassroots lobbying event. Here, attendees will meet with lawmakers, network with industry peers, and come together to celebrate the restaurant industry. Please visit conference.restaurantsact.com to register. We can't wait to see you in person. Thanks so much for listening to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. Follow us on your favorite podcast player and find out more at restaurant.org slash podcasts. Episode produced by Dante32.